The Isle of Og, written and narrated by Michael Tippetts. Ten, Jack and Bo. From the tone of the fox's voice being carried by the tempernacle, Solly could tell he was not pleased, not pleased at all. Where is he, Solly? demanded Staramet. Oh, uh, well, uh, he uh, he should have arrived at uh, Samuel's by now. Uh, said an apologetic Solly, irritated and cross. The fox replied. Tell me where he should be. I already know where he should be. And clearly he's not there. His voice, now menacing, asked, What I want to know is his whereabouts as of now. So tell me, Solly, where is he? I do hope for your sake you've not lost him. Because if you have, you've let me down, Solly. Let me down big time. And I don't want any of your excuses or apologies. The one thing I won't tolerate is incompetence. So tell me, Solly, have you lost him? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, of course not, said Solly quickly. I mean, he's not lost. Desperate to retrieve the conversation. So, if he's not lost, I find myself asking you again, foolishly perhaps. Where is he, Solly? Well, I, um, uh, I'm, uh, not exactly certain, replied the owl timidly. Staramet, restraining a burning inner fury, changed his voice to a polite, sarcastic tone and said, That sounds very much to me as if you've lost him. Oh, well, no, no, abso- absolutely not. We know his, uh, we know his general location. He's not lost. We're just uncertain of his exact whereabouts at this moment, uh, well, at this moment in time. That's all, said Solly, trying to make the situation appear under his control. Then tell me, Solly, continued the fox in the same sarcastic manner. What was it in my instruction that you didn't understand? When I told you to make sure, no, 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 I think I said make doubly sure. Yes, yes, that was it. Doubly sure. Doubly sure he was followed at all times. And I did. Uh, I did. I did more than that, protested Solly. I sent the two rooks in charge of forest security. They're the best I have. They're in Good in daylight and totally reliable. It's the same two I use to corroborate all the information I pass you. And they've always done that very well. (laughs) Without anyone ever knowing or even suspecting, they've never failed me in the past. But uh, I just don't understand it. Solly bumbled on eagerly trying to prove his worth. Plus, uh, I also sent, just as you instructed, without the rooks or anyone else's knowledge, 
my best and most trusted weasel. <laughs> He's an expert tracker, just right for this sort of mission. I told him exactly as you asked, to keep a close eye on both the rooks and the fire sprite. <laughs> he was under strict orders to report back to me upon Ermo's arrival at Sam's. But why didn't you send the two magpies to escort him, like I told you? Oh, I tried. I tried several several times, but he wouldn't let me. He, he, he insisted on going alone, said Solly desperately. So where is he now, this weasel of yours? asked Daramet, calming down. Well, well, I'm not sure. You see, he's, uh, he's not returned yet, said Solly weakly. Staramet, unimpressed, unleashed the full force of his anger. So I ask you again, at the risk of turning into an infernal parrot, where is the fire sprite? It's a simple question, Solly. Where on this island is he? Tell me that. Trying to placate the fox, Solly blurted out. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, the two rooks returned yesterday. They said they'd lost track of him in a violent storm. What do you mean they'd lost track of him? What sort of operation are you running, Solly? This is just not good enough. The owl got the full force of Staramet's anger as he spat out his words. Now listen, and listen carefully, you fat old imbecile. You get those two fool rooks and you bring them here to me tomorrow. Do you understand that, do you? Is that instruction clear enough for you to follow? What, 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 to your earth? answered Solly, trembling. Ah, no, fool, for the sake of utter, swore Staramet. I don't want to look at the stupid creatures. I just want to deal with them. Somebody's going to have to pay for this incompetence, so thank your lucky stars, Solly. It's going to be them, and not you, said the fox, in a cruel and vicious tone. Oh, yes, yes, of of course, I, I'm, I'm just as unhappy about this as you are. Uh, what is it you want me to do? Asked the owl, desperately trying to calm the fox. Didn't you hear what I just said, you troglodyte? Bring them here to me, here to the Tempernacle. But, but I thought you wanted no one but me to know anything about the Tempernacle, protested Solly. Confused. Anyway, who shall I say you are? They don't know you. No one in the forest knows anything about you, except me. There was a pause. The Solly dared not say a word. Then Staramet replied nonchalantly, Well then, give them ceremonial cloaks like yours and tell them the truth. Uh, but, uh, what, uh, but, which, uh, which uh, truth do you mean? asked Solly, still unsure. Why, Solly? You should recognise the truth by now. Tell them that their lord and master wishes to speak with them. Solly swallowed hard. Yes, of, of, of course, master. Oh, and as Solly, 
asked the fox politely. Oh, yeah, uh, yes, sir. In the meantime, appoint the two more capable magpies as head of forest security. Oh, uh, uh, why, master? asked Solly stupidly. What do you think for, fool? To replace the incompetent rooks, of course. With that, the tempernacle's resonance changed and faded. Solly, realising after a few seconds of silence that the conversation was over and that the tempernacle door was open, awkwardly bowed. Then, nervously hesitating, he quietly left. Sots of rain fell as Solly made his way back up to the surgery. The owl felt hot, hot and clammy. That feeling you get when you've done something seriously wrong and you know it's unlikely to get better any time soon. It was not through embarrassment or chastisement that Solly felt like this. It went much, much deeper. This feeling came from an impending dread, a dread that seemed to have seeped its way into his very bones. Solly's hands were visibly trembling as he untied the sash around his waist. Taking off his dark robe, he put it into his desk and carefully locked the drawer. After reaching over to the hat stand, Solly had to steady himself before putting on his fez. As darkness fell, the owl noticed the early risers, up and going about their nightly business. Envying their ignorance, Solly attempted to do some paperwork, but found it hard to concentrate. His troubled mind kept taking him back to the conversation he'd had with the fox. Solly tried to think up plausible schemes, untruths and scenarios that would make his current situation better, or at least make him feel better about it. Keen to hold no responsibility for the fox's actions, Solly looked for ways in which he could wash his hands of any of the awful events that he knew were now destined to transpire. Solly got out some plain, unheaded paper, dipped his pen and started writing. It was dark and rainy when Helena, his secretary, a small bat, arrived early for work. Heartily, she said, Good evening, Professor. You're working early on such a wet evening. Seems like it's going to be one of those nights where it won't stop raining until the dawn, don't you think? Solly looked up and said abruptly, Well, Helena, good. You're finally here. I need you to send an urgent message to both Jack and Bo. Helena knew there was something wrong, not only by the seriousness of his voice, but also by the fact that Solly, who was usually polite and friendly, had failed to wish her a good evening, something he nearly always did when she arrived for work. The two rooks, asked Helena politely, taking off her wet hat and shaking it before hanging it on the hat stand. Yes, who else do you know called Jack and Bo? Of course it's the two rooks said Solly tersely. Yes, sir. Straight away. What's the message? Helena, put out by Solly's reply, but not wanting to provoke the owl any further, quickly grabbed the notepad and pen from her desk, standing poised at the ready. It's all right, Helena. I've, uh, I've already written the message out. I just want you to deliver them, personally. That way I can be sure they'll get there, as I'm not able to deliver them myself. He paused and looked sternly at her. 
I hope I can trust you to do this, unlike all those others around me who seem to have a problem carrying out even the, well, simplest of my instructions. Helena was not sure what he meant by this, but said nothing and just nodded as he handed her two sealed envelopes. Flipping them, she saw they had no marked address. The owl, immediately picking up on her concern, said, There's no need to address them, as the message in each is the same. So long as you deliver them in person, just as I've told you, then they don't need labelling, he said, eyeing her carefully. Helena, quickly replying, said, Yes, sir. Straight away, sir. Putting her hat back on, she left, clutching the letters tightly, thinking to herself, Oh, this is not good. Not good at all. Jack and Bo held separate luxury apartments in the tall cedar trees. Jack resided in the west, while Bo in the east. The rooks were important animals in the forest hierarchy, as they played a major role in forest security. Both were fiercely loyal to Solly. Each held equally important and well-rewarded jobs. Jobs that gave them the chance to earn even more on the side in bribes and kickbacks. As ambitious rivals, they competed for supremacy, each trying to outdo the other while vying for the owl's favour. Bedraggled from the driving rain, Helena delivered each envelope by hand as instructed, without speaking to either of the rooks. The rooks didn't talk much anyway, but when they did, they had harsh, croaky, nasal-like voices. After handing them the now damp letters, they just nodded and said nothing. Each took the unmarked envelope from her without surprise or question, rudely closing the door in her face, offering her no thanks. But Helena didn't care. She was just happy that it was all over with, and there were no problems. Relieved that her task was done without incident or fuss, Helena made her way back through the driving rain to Solly's surgery. Upon her return, she found that Solly had gone, his red fez back on its hat stand. After drying herself off, to be sure there were no repercussions or misunderstandings, Helena left him a note on his desk that read, To Solly, all successfully delivered, as instructed. She signed it, H. Bat Levasky, careful to put the date and time under her signature. Helena made up a fire, then returned to her duties, where she started organising Solly's bookshelves, adding the new books that had arrived from the Golden Dusk Publishing Company. The rooks, in private, opened their letters. The message read simply, Meet me in the square at 10.15. Come alone. There was far more written into this message than actually met the eye. The fact that there was no name immediately identified who it was from. Because there was no date, it meant come tonight. The term come alone meant quietly, discreetly and with caution. The time, 10.15, meant it would start 15 minutes before 10 o'clock. However, you would not be expected to understand any of this unless, like the rooks, you were part of those secretly informed. The square was an old, broad olive tree 
whose hollow trunk was not round, but had grown strangely square in its circumference. It only had one entrance, with thirteen steps that led to a large hall inside. This was a gloomy room, surrounded by heavy drapes that dampened the sound. As the room had no windows, it was constantly lit by large, intricately designed oil lamps. The thicker internal door was made from a dark wood. On it was a stylized carved image of an owl. This owl bore no resemblance to Solly. Being slim and young, it had angular eyebrows above its cold eyes that made it appear stern and resolute. The carving sat in a fresco, surrounded by other smaller forest animals. The door itself was lockable, but only from the inside. The square was used on official and important occasions, when the forest dignitaries would meet to discuss business or vote upon the making of new forest laws. Solly sat waiting at a large oak table in the master's seat. This was a raised, high-back, ornate chair with square armrests and carved lion paws for feet. The owl had brought two packages with him, which he had carefully placed on the table. Solly sat quietly, watching the ticking grandfather clock that dominated the room. It read 9.25. Jack was the first to arrive. Solly marvelled at how he did not actually see him until he made his way out of one of the shadowy corners. You called? he whispered. Solly said nothing and just put his finger to his beak, indicating that now was not the time to speak. Two minutes later, Bo arrived, who checked to see who else was in the room before entering. Solly said loudly, Come in, Bo. Come in and close the door. As Bo entered, he drew the heavy iron bolt across. With a dull clunk, it slotted into its deep iron fittings, sealing all three of them inside. Solly spoke. Oh, Jack, Bo, please take a seat. The rook sat on opposite sides of the table and looked at Solly without saying a word. The owl, after a thoughtful pause, then stood up and proceeded to pace up and down. You're probably wondering why I've called you both here tonight. Well, I... Solly corrected himself. No, we have agreed that it's now time for you to take the next step in your personal development. To increase your wisdom and understanding of the forest by moving it up a level. The two rooks looked at each other, intrigued and surprised by what Solly was saying. Bo mouthed the word we to Jack with a puzzled look, but Jack just ignored him, forcefully turning his attention towards Solly. The owl continued on. This uh, next step is a choice, (laughs) a choice that only you can make. So I caution you, as this decision should not be taken lightly, as it requires you to, (laughs) to accept a greater level of responsibility which means that although there are many rewards to be had and much wealth and fame to be gained, there is also a balancing force, a force of retribution, trial and even execution that comes with it. So I offer it to you now with great caution. Do you freely wish to undertake this next step in your enlightenment 
and accept personal responsibility for all your actions, past or present. They looked at each other for a second and quickly, in unison, said, Yes. Both the rooks looked bemused, as if the choice was just too obvious. To them, only either the stupid or mentally insane would not accept an offer of secret knowledge that led to more power, wealth and fame. Good. Then you'll both need to wear these new ceremonial cloaks. Pushing over the packages, he continued, These are to be worn for your initiation into the High Order. At the words High Order, the two rooks looked at each other, and with the slightest of grins, they eagerly accepted the packages. Report to me today, in the dead of day, just before 3pm. Meet me at my surgery, and uh, don't be late. Seeing their quizzical looks, he continued. From there, I'll take you down to a hidden, sacred place, known only to those of the high order, where you will be spoken to by the master of this island. Solly paused, looking at each rook in turn, then continued. If he asks you anything, you must tell him the truth. Accept all his orders without question. Anything you see or hear must be kept secret and hidden, upon the pain of death. Is that clear? In unison, they both said, Yes, sir. Any uh, questions? invited Solly. Bo piped up. I was totally unaware of this high order. Who's this master you speak of? Is it really you, Solly? he asked cheekily. Jack interjected. And who are its members? Solly, only answering Bo's question, said simply, No, uh, it's not me. I serve the master. Only those in the high order are trusted to know of these things. If you do as I say, then all will be revealed to you soon enough. This time, Jack took the lead and asked, How should we refer to him then? This master. When he speaks to us, I mean. Solly quickly said, Just call him uh, your worship. That's all. And remember to bow. He requires your utmost respect and obedience at all time. Any other questions? Both rooks remained silent. Good, said Solly. He paused for a second, then continued. Uh, uh, on another matter, I will also need you to send me the two magpies. Those who escorted uh, the fire sprite to my surgery, as they are to take your place uh, once you're promoted. Be sure to send them to me today without telling them why, so I may initiate and instruct them on their new duties, as they must be ready to step in when the time comes. Together, the rooks replied, Yes, sir. Try your new cloaks on in here for size, but after that keep them hidden and only wear them for the meetings with the High Order. Oh, I need to leave you now, as I have many other important tasks to perform before the dawn. With that, Solly got up, drew back the covering curtain, unbolted the door and left the room. A short way out, he stopped to listen to the muffled whoops of joy and excitement coming from the two rooks as they tried on their new cloaks. The owl felt pleased at how he'd been able to discreetly warn the rooks while at the same time absolve himself of any culpability in their impending doom. 
Solly smiled slyly as he listened to the fading sounds of the rook's celebration as the internal door he'd deliberately pushed wide now swung slowly shut. Like two flies feeding between the jaws of a Venus flytrap, the rooks were blissfully unaware that their fate was now sealed. Thank you.